Welcome to Develop Lex, a Middle Tech production hosted by me, Weston Lockhart, Ross Boggess, and Evan Knowles. This series will focus on the ins and outs of real estate development and investing, where we'll have the opportunity to sit down with developers of our cities, veterans of the industry, and key people that have over time made a massive impact on communities and neighborhoods. The purpose of this series is to be able to bring a knowledge base to our audience beyond that of what reading a book or watching a how-to video ever could and educate from those who have done it by hearing their stories both good and bad along the way. We feel that historically the learnings of real estate have been inaccessible without being connected and we would love to open the doors to the next generation of doers as well as shine a light on how visions of community have been brought to life. We hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Bank of the Bluegrass. It's easy to preach about being a community bank without actually operating that way, but I can attest as a real customer of Bank of the Bluegrass that they are truly in the community and for the community. Whether it's closing a real estate transaction that needs some creativity, troubleshooting an issue where you need a real person on the other end of the phone, or just the simple fact that when you walk in the door, your banker knows your name, Bank of the Bluegrass has you covered. Plain and simple, the best bank in town. Bank of the Bluegrass, member FDIC. NMLS 421548, equal housing lender. DevelopLex is sponsored by SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate, a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff and 200-plus offices across the globe. The SVN Stone team consists of experienced commercial real estate advisors in the heart of the bluegrass. SVN provides commercial real estate services to large corporations, middle market businesses, and individual entrepreneurial investors. Serving the greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With transaction volume of over 400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. Craftsman Contractors is Central Kentucky's one-stop shop for roofing, windows, siding, and gutters. Craftsmancontractors.com slash contact us will get you straight to the form you need so their team will get in touch about your project. Or just text Stephen at 859 246 0108. When they finish your project of windows, siding, gutters, or roofing, you'll see what they mean when they say we build with integrity. Welcome back to DevelopLex. Today you have Weston Ross in the studio and we are um, pleased to welcome CJ May. Um, CJ is somebody that we are very excited to have on that we'd like that we have been excited to have on for a while. Um, and CJ is the president of the May Group, which is a large developer based right here in central Kentucky. Um, they've done extensive development work all over the country, um, some around central Kentucky, but we will let CJ talk more about that. So CJ, welcome on. Thank you, Weston and Ross. Um, yeah, um, I guess, uh, talk a little bit about where I came from and where I've been. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in Pikeville, Kentucky. I graduated Pikeville High School in 1969. Uh, I, uh, graduated Pikeville College in 1973 with a degree in business administration and a minor in psychology. Um, none of my family ever attended college. Uh, but my wife, who I was dating in uh, high school, convinced me that education was 
was a valuable tool, and she encouraged me to try college. So I tried it for a year, and uh, and she uh, encouraged me to do it for another year. So once I got through the second year, I thought, well, heck, I'm halfway there. Why not just go ahead? So I I managed to uh, graduate Pygwa College. I played baseball at Pygwa College, but we didn't have scholarships back in those days. So I worked at Kroger's, uh, worked 37 and a half hours a week, paid my tuition, and proudly graduated owing nothing. So uh, 100% of my tuition uh, I earned. Uh, with the encouragement of my wife, Billy, and she and I have been married for 49 years. You'll probably hear her name a few times during this interview. So um, I, uh, we left uh, Pikeville. Well, when I first graduated, I w went to work uh, in the insurance world as an adjuster. And I did that for five years, and I really didn't like the business. Uh, so uh, I accepted a job in Bowling Green as a land agent for a coal company. We went down and rented and or leased uh, property for mineral rights, coal, oil, gas, and so forth. And I did that for two to three years, and suddenly the coal company sold out. And I'm in Bowling Green, Kentucky with new twin daughters and in a strange town. And I said, now what am I going to do? So... Uh, one of my friends talked me into getting a real estate license. So I went and got a real estate license in somewhere around 1981. Uh, a year later, I went back and got my broker's license. And, you know, you're in a strange town. You don't know people. You can't really expect to be able to sell houses. So I thought, well, I'm going to broker motels. So we started brokering hotels, did some pretty big jobs. I mean, we sold a hotel at the Boston airport and and several large uh, properties. I'm but, curious what what got you into what got you into hotels. Was that something that you grew up? Well, I knew or? I couldn't do houses. Got it. I just wasn't cut out for that. Um, and so I was looking, you know, for some commercial line. And uh, and so you know, we just settled in on hotels. Um, so uh, I did that for a while, and then I, it occurred to me that. I'm brokering hotels, I'm brokering properties, and I don't even know how they they came about. How were they even built? And so I decided, you know, I need to know more about this business. So I went to work, I applied for a job and went to work for a shopping center developer. And this was probably in the mid to, I don't know, probably mid 80s. And these folks did uh, Walmart centers when they first came through this part of the country. Walmart was so young, it's my recollection that uh, we did a lot of Walmart, Winn-Dixie projects combination. Walmart's credit wasn't even established at that time. And we uh, sort of had to rely on the Winn-Dixie credit to get the shopping centers financed. Uh, we had big uh, New York money behind us, but still, you know, they looked for credit. So anyway, we did. I did that for a few years, and I thought, well... I need to move on because, you know, I just thought things needed to be done differently in the development company. So uh, I moved on and I went with web companies for a short period of time. And uh, it was a good experience with web. It was back during, you know, the heydays of the mid to 
upper 90s. We, um, we then got a, I got a call from a developer in Nashville, and he said, hey, I want you to come work for me. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, I'm living on Shinaway Road. My wife's working at St. Joe Hospital. I'm with the web companies on the 16th floor of the Vine Center. Uh, I mean, I'm large and in charge. Yeah, life here, is so good. Life was good. Why, why would I want to move to Nashville? So I go back, and, and I talk to my wife, and she says, well, you know what? I never thought she would even consider it, but she said, you know, there's a program at Vanderbilt where I can get my master's in nursing, and I'd be willing to move to Nashville. I said, oh, my God. So I called the developer back, and I said, look, if you can pay me as much as my wife and I both make, to allow her to go back to school, pay me a little signing bonus, then I'll come to work for you. So I thought, I'll never hear from him again. So he calls back the next day and he said, when, when can you start? So I'd committed. So we moved to Nashville for um, a total of about five years. And, uh, and Nashville's changed a good bit since then. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we, we lived down there. My wife graduated, uh, got her master's in nursing and we decided to move back, uh, to Lexington. Um, but, uh, back during the days when I was at Bowling Green, I ran into, uh, one guy from Lowe's who bought probably a two and a half acre piece of property from me back in those days. Uh, I, well, I was broker, uh, back in those days, uh, Lowe's stores were more like an 84 lumber outside storage of lumber and uh, more contractor sales. So time went on, and then I guess a few years later, after I moved back to Lexington, we brokered a deal for Lowe's on New Circle Road where the old Hex store used to be. It's across from the Lexus dealer. So I uh, brokered a deal there. So those were two Lowe's deals that I, that I uh, did during the 80s. Uh, and then right after I moved back to uh, Lexington, I get a call from my friends at Lowe's. They said, hey, we, uh, we've been looking at this operation in Atlanta, and they're known as Home Depot, and they heat and cool their lumber. You know, it's like these, they had these big boxes, and they actually got their lumber stored inside. And we think if we don't do that, that we're going to be out of business someday. And I said, well, that makes sense. And they said, would you be interested in helping us? And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. So I really didn't know what I was getting into. So we started working with Lowe's with their new development program. And uh, one of the first ones we did was Pikeville back in my old stomping grounds. I bet and that was pretty cool. That was, that was pretty cool, but the project lasted uh, seven to eight years. And the reason was, right as we were getting started, we were going to build an enclosed mall and uh, and a strip center also with Lowe's and a Winn-Dixie. And uh, the first Gulf War broke out and financing froze nationwide. Well, during the meantime, we had to build a five-lane bridge to access this property because flat land is so hard to come by. So we had to put the money up for the bridge. It was matching funds, some federal bridge replacement program funds, some city funds, and some private development funds. So we put up a million dollars, and or my partners put up a million dollars. And uh, 
and the bridge had to be built before the project from a timeline standpoint. If you didn't do it first, then you would have a building and no bridge to it. So we had to start the bridge earlier. So shortly after the million dollars was put up and the bridge contract was let, uh, the war broke out. And the lender said, we're not going to fund. He said, what do you mean you're not going to fund? You've given us a commitment. Well, you're just going to have to sue us. So the project got stalled. The bridge got built. The project was stalled. And over time, our friends, uh, Dr. Ballard Cassidy uh, was one of the owners. There were several property owners. And his, his son, Ballard Cassidy Jr., and I graduated high school together. So I knew the owners, and they were willing to be patient with me. And uh, so over time, things got better, and uh, we wound up doing a, a Lowe's and a Walmart anchored shopping center. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. That's fine. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not what we wanted, but in retrospect, it's probably, in today's world, kind of the highest and best use of that property. But uh, because we, we had so many challenges for that property, um, and we overcame those, we had to extend sewer, we were into floodway, so we had to get to hydraulic studies, all the stuff done to get out of the floodway. Uh, Lowe's, I guess we proved that we could perform. So here comes a steady flow of business. So we wound up doing most of the stores in Kentucky. We've got our fingerprints on. When I say we do them, we've somehow got our fingerprints on them. In the early days, Pikeville, Elizabethtown, Corbin, some of those uh, were able to build and own. Um, and the group that I was associated with, we uh, sold three to the Kentucky Teachers Pension Fund. Then there came a point where Lowe's got big enough, strong enough financially, and uh, they, they said, hey, you know what, we love you, but you can't own our buildings. Uh, how about you just be a third-party resource for us? So my job was to help Lowe's uh, with their expansion program. In any capacity they wanted me to serve, then I was willing to do that because I felt fortunate to even have that opportunity. So we uh, we then got assigned. We, we did, like I said, most of the Kentucky stores. We did projects, you know, like Danville, Georgetown, Somerset, where we could purchase 50 acres. We could sell them off their piece, and we could develop the balance of it. That was a pretty good gig as well. So, uh, but many of them, uh, especially in faraway locations, um, were just a consultant. We were consultants on. Um, our staff was set up to, set up to travel and, and handle that kind of volume. So we first were assigned from that point forward, we were assigned upstate New York. So we did a lot of stores and particularly the western half of the state, let's say from Utica West um, over into Syracuse and to uh, in Buffalo and, and those areas. And we, I guess we reached over into Queensbury near, near uh, Saratoga Springs and, and did one over there too. And then Lowe's called us and said, hey, we need you to run out to Washington State. And uh, we're looking at an acquisition of this group called Eagle Hardware. Uh, Eagle Hardware had 33 stores. 
They were along the West Coast. They were in Denver, Utah. I mean, Colorado, Utah, and uh, several states out on the West Coast. Uh, so we said, well, how are we going to get paid? Because there's no real estate deals to do. We're the, we were asked to analyze these properties and determine whether Lowe's could duplicate those locations or whether they need to acquire these people. So we went and we drove and we drove and we drove and we came back and we went over and did a big presentation to their, their group over there. Bob Tillman was the president, chairman, and CEO at that time. Of Lowe's, correct. Of Lowe's, yes. So uh, I tell everyone I had to rent a suit and we <laughs> go over and do a presentation. And uh, we said, look, you ask us to check the real estate, which we did. It's going to be hard to duplicate, but we don't think you should purchase these people. We're not operations people, but we don't think you can operate your stores in here. So they said, I remember him throwing this book across the table. He tells the CFO, tell Merrill Lynch we're not interested. So I said, well, I just got ourselves fired. So we and, and just and not to interrupt you, but and what what kind of qualities are you like? What what kind of qualities are you looking for um, when you're going to Washington to look at these stores and to make this presentation? Well, there's there's a lot of qualities, uh, a lot of factors to go into a, a successful site. Certainly, uh, location as always, uh, access, visibility, and you know, are there other properties where if you want to penetrate that market, are there other properties that, where you can put stores? And it can take a while. If you're doing a surgical type operation in, in those larger cities, you sometimes have to do assemblages and zoning's tough. And, you know, you got neighborhood issues, you got to deal with neighbors, and which is okay. I mean, they got their rights too, but, but it's just sometimes difficult to duplicate gotcha so, so there's an overall market study of that of in washington yeah pretty much Got yeah it. and you know uh so anyway we we go back and and then a couple of weeks later we get a call and they say well, can you come back and do that presentation again i said really yeah we got a different group so i had to go rent that suit again and we go back <laughs> we go back and uh and uh and they decided to buy them so it was a 33-store, $1 billion acquisition uh, and uh, against our recommendation. Uh, but I think it's turned out okay. But at that point, they had a presence on the West Coast. And that's when we were uh, then assigned Colorado, Utah, the entire state of both states. So we left upstate New York, and we went west. So... Uh, it was a tremendous experience. I couldn't imagine. And we got to fly, you know, in the, the Falcon jets and, <laughs> at times. And I'm going, man, I just came from Pikeville, Kentucky. I, <laughs> I squeaked through Pikeville College. And uh, yeah. so now I'm in Lowe's University. Yeah. Uh, Lowe's University, I got to travel with the uh, market research people, the site acquisitions, the engineering, design, construction uh, people. So I got exposed to a lot of things. Um, and what we did in California, well, we did a little work in California, but um, particularly Colorado and Utah, was that we were asked to drive the markets and take our old-fashioned maps. This was before Google Earth. 
and uh, we would stop at convenience stores. Convenience stores had the most current maps uh, because they sold pretty often as opposed to a bookstore. So we get the old-fashioned maps. I would, I would uh, ride shotgun or passenger seat, have someone else drive, um, and I would take a highlighter and I would highlight our trip. And we would circle locations where we thought would be a good uh, location for the, the stores. Now these were based upon where their competitors were located. Like Home Depot was the main competitor. And Lowe's always said, that's our only long-term threat is Home Depot. So there were others out there, Builder Square, we you know, would see other home improvement people, but Home Depot was the real long-term threat. They knew that. And so we would try to base our storing strategy in those markets around where the Home Depot stores were. But having bought the Eagle Hardware Group kind of messed up our strategy some because there was already stores there in that market. So it, it made it a little tougher. Uh, but, uh, well, we, were, we would not have access to their market research group until such time that we had completed our uh, study, which was more feet-on-the-ground type studies. Yeah. And then we would get with their market research people that had all the data, the demographics, the trade areas, the, the sales estimates and stuff, and we would compare notes. And it was pretty interesting how close we were. And usually when we were different, it was because they had not taken into consideration maybe the terrain or the access or some physical reasons why they could not be where their mapping told them they could be. So, uh, but a tremendous experience. So we, uh, we, we learned a, a lot from the, that. And what we learned was and, and if I started all over in this business, I'd probably start in market research. Uh, because what you're going to do is, if you have a certain business model, you're going to go in and identify your primary, secondary trade areas, your, your sales estimates, your market share. And that's the beginning of your, your analysis for your return on investment. And we... Uh, you know, we usually would, you know, Lowe's would say, if I can't get at least 11% ROI, then this deal is a no-go. So usually cutting costs didn't move the needle much. It was, it was increasing sales that really, really moved the needle. So we got exposed to that kind of thing. And, and I guess that uh, I would say today, from what little success we've had, uh, that uh, picking a site is probably our strength. And if you have a good site over time, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And, you know, the business was a lot uh, easier and more fun back in the day. Now these the tenants know our business and they know how we make money and they want to make that money now. So... It, it, we've learned that sometimes you just have to purchase the property. We typically would like to operate under options and then package our deal, get our leases signed, put our, you know, get our, all of our contracts together, the construction, the engineering, and so forth before we close on it. We wrap it up, we package it, put a bow around it, close. 
and we start construction the next day. Uh, it, it sometimes is difficult to do that. And I mentioned earlier about the war breaking out and, and you know, we've been through the 2008 recession that we, we lost money on, but it wasn't on land that we owned. We were looking at a 200-acre project in Georgetown where the new interchange is located. Uh, we actually got the, uh, uh, the permit uh, from the federal government. Uh, the interchange justification study is what it's called to put that interchange in. We did the preliminary design on it with the input from Toyota, and we had a bunch of tenants that had signed letters of intent, and we were moving forward. But uh, it, when the recession hit in 2008, all those tenants went in their foxholes, and then our option ran out. Yeah. So we dropped a million dollars uh, in pre-development money. So I guess... I'll, I'll pause here and let you guys fire some questions or whatever, but the one thing I would say before I do that is that, um, in my view, the risk in this business is, is in the pre-development. Once I get through my pre-development and I know what my project looks like, I've modeled it in a way that I know what it's, you know, the income and cost and so forth look like, I've taken a lot of that risk out. But during pre-development, there's a lot of things that can prevent you from moving forward. And those things are wars, recessions, COVID, things that we refer to as third party, or, or I'm sorry, as external forces yeah. that we can't control. And uh, those are, I guess, a big lesson we've learned over the years. Are you looking to start or scale your real estate portfolio in Central Kentucky? Check out Rapid Fire Investments. They find off-market, discounted real estate deals just for you, so you can save time and maximize profits. From single-family homes to multifamily apartments, no matter what your investment goals are, Rapid Fire can help you reach them. Sign up for their email list today and get notified when new properties become available. Just go to rapidfireinvestments.com. That's rapidfireinvestments.com. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, we appreciate you sharing that. Um, I have many questions, but I'll... I will um, just hit on a few. The first one would be, you know, you had this incredible relationship with Lowe's um, that was just built over the years seemingly. What what are the important qualities that Lowe's was looking from from you, looking for from you as someone that was doing site selection, consulting, um, all of that kind of work. Um, what are qualities that they were looking for in you? Because obviously, you you went from one store to they're flying you. You're in the Lowe's school. You're in Lowe's University. Do, was that just relationship trust over time, or was that you know they felt like you were really really good at one certain thing, or what what were qualities that they looked? I guess they thought I was just handsome. That's what <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you hit on it. Uh, Weston, it's trust. That's it. I mean, that's the buzzword. Um, I even told them, I said, guys, there's a lot of good people in Colorado and Utah that know the lay of the land out there, and they can do this as good or better than me. And uh, and what I heard was, we, but we can't trust them. And I, and it finally it occurred to me, 
wait a minute, this is kind of what this is all about. So, and I was proud to, to say that we, we were trustworthy. I think we had earned that trust. And, you know, it's, it's hard to earn that. It's, you can't buy it. You gotta, you gotta earn it. So you gotta show them what's your, that, what you're that, that's of. it. And, yeah. you know, I had one of my friends, I just came back from North Carolina to a, a funeral this past weekend. And he was one of my old Lowe's buddies. His wife passed away. I hadn't seen him in 15 years. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to North Carolina. If you want to go, hop in. So we went and he really appreciated that. So we became friends and trusted, you know, business partners in a way. Um, we became somewhat of a meaningful part of that. At, at their peak, though, you know, Lowe's was doing 120 stores a year at one point. And in 2008, they hit the brakes with both feet. So, you know, at that point in time, we had to somewhat reinvent ourselves. And that's when we started doing some different things. And, we, you know, this, I guess this takes us to, to Georgetown. And some of the things we're doing up there now, we bought a shopping center and we fixed it up. It, it was an old center and we recently sold it. We're going to roll that over into a 1031 exchange. In the meantime, we've bought other property. We're building a medical uh, uh, project, uh, medical-based project. It's a 10-acre site across from the Georgetown Hospital. That's anchored. It's going to be anchored, uh, and it's under construction. It's going to be anchored by the uh, Georgetown Community Hospital. They will occupy 30,000 feet. We have 15,000 square feet that still unleased. But we'll lease it. We'll have an Aldi's food store, and we'll have five out parcels, small out parcels, um, at the end of the day. But it's a great location. To my point earlier about location, we've owned that property for uh, we we assembled two pieces, and we've owned it for uh, one for six years and one for eight years. Yeah, waited for the game to come to us. What what's so interesting um, now, and and you kind of touched on this earlier, is that, you know, I'm I'm happy that I've I've been able to be in this capacity much less than you, but to do some site selection, um, I do feel like, to your point, it's changed so much. With there's so much accessible data to the real estate managers and to the retailers themselves, um, that you know our our job is so um, detail-oriented, and sometimes uh, it, it really comes down to actually going and seeing the dirt um, that the person will actually occupy. What are, what are some qualities that you, you know, when you were looking for a Lowe's location, what are some qualities that you looked for when you were actually visiting a site you had never seen and you know, maybe, maybe middle of nowhere is probably not a good way to say it, but well, I'm also, in Washington. I'm also very curious. There's a strong co-tenancy correlation with Walmart. Is that, was it Walmart first or was it Lowe's first or did they, they come in tandem? Well, if you go, if you go to uh, markets like Frankfurt is a good example. Uh, you got to drive by Lowe's to get to Walmart, right? So Lowe's was there first. Uh, you go to Elizabethtown, same thing. Lowe's was there first. Now, if you go and you got to drive by Walmart to get the Lowe's, then Walmart was there first. But I think that they made good co-tenants uh, because they didn't overlap that much in their inventories and their merchandise. The garden centers did some. They over overlapped some. But that's sort of incidental to Walmart. That's Lowe's bread and butter. 
you know. And I think they had maybe a Walmart person on their board at Lowe's when they were first starting and, you know, to get some good advice from them because they similar, had similar startup uh, uh, plans and, and strategies, and that was to do the small markets and circle the cities and then work their way in. That's what Walmart did. That's what Lowe's did. Uh, Kmart, Home Depot did the big cities, and then they tried to operate in the small cities. I know Home Depot's really struggled with that. They, they opened Frankfurt. They closed it. They bought land in Richmond. They didn't develop it. So I think they're really strong with contractor sales in big markets. But as far as any any deeper relationship with Walmart and Lowe's, I don't know of it. Uh, but they do make good uh, co-tenants. And then as far as like when you're looking for a site for Lowe's, what, did, what were the big, big qualities that they had you looking for? Uh, what were strong indicators of a good site for them or for you, I guess? Yeah. Well, if there was already a Walmart there, they'd say, take the guesswork out of it and put us next to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy one. Now, uh, it, you know, if we're going into a market where there maybe isn't a Walmart, um, you know, we'd look for the obvious things, the access, the visibility, the utilities, the, the traffic, you know, there's... There's, you, you look at the topography, what about your utilities, uh, or there, is there a rock there that's going to drive your cost up? There's just all kinds. But we, we had a, uh, a technical or a site acquisition checklist, a technical chest, uh, checklist that we would, we would work on with the help of one of my technicians, and, and it would be more preliminary in nature. And then we would determine whether we wanted to start down that path. And we would try to develop a roadmap. You know, this is where we want to go with this. And we would base that on our preliminary studies. And then you have to go back in and, of course, do all your detailed studies and permitting and so forth. But if we saw anything that appeared to be a roadblock rather than a speed bump, then we would make a decision to maybe pull out and go to a different site. And with a large retailer like that, it's not like you're making, you know, a $500,000 investment. You're spending millions and millions of dollars. So I'm sure that was felt like a little bit of pressure to, to find a good site for them. Well, you know, we never had a loser until we went to Utah. And it was a tough nut to crack. The LDS Church was, I don't think Lowe's quite understood that but they sent their a team out and and they figured out hey we need to be part of this community if we're going to be successful here so they figured it out and i think they're they're okay now uh but uh, yeah we but you know it wasn't just us it was their market research group and and uh and their mar their yeah, market research is a key back to my one of my original points and you can predict those sales they always figured that hey we, the market research people would say, we're going to give you a sales estimate. It's probably going to be low because if, it, if that store opens less than what we give them, we could get fired. So in order to get that sales estimate up, they had to go to the, one of the executive members and say, could you sign off on an increased sales estimate? And that would enable us to get the ROI that we needed to make the deal fly. Uh, but uh, they were usually conservative. The first store we did and the ground-up store we did uh, 
in Colorado was in Colorado Springs, and they gave us a sales estimate of $25 million. We had three other sites that we could have put in Colorado Springs. But Lowe said, golly, you know, $25 million? No, if we do those, it's going to cut into the sales of that one, the sales transfer. That store may be un unprofitable. So we passed on the other sites. This, the, the store opened at $50 million. So there's there there there's uh, something to be said about being too low. Yeah, <laughs> that's so fascinating that uh, part of Home Depot's uh, transitions between some of their leadership was they were pushing so much growth that there was business cannibalization um, under one of their past CEOs. That's mm -hmm. that's fascinating. They're two different. Yeah, there was a time when a lot of the Home Depot employees started bailing and coming to work for Lowe's. But I'll tell you that in the beginning, I think if Home Depot had moved into Charlotte and some of the key areas of Lowe's, you know, home base, they could have maybe taken Lowe's out. They didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but Lowe's feared that. Yeah. Too late now, guys. <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you had a, a pretty extensive past in retail development. Um, you mentioned Georgetown that you're working on now and, and how much of a footprint you have in Georgetown it, when we look at your day-to-day -day now well what are you what is the May group working on now we're trying to stay close to Lexington uh, you know I told you when I went to high school and, and college so you probably figured out about how old I am and uh, 50 and or I, so at least yeah. <laughs> so uh, we just don't feel like traveling a great deal now um, so we're going to try to stay close to home and be be really selective in what we work on. We're actually working on a big industrial project now, uh, 20 acres. So I've I've kind of uh, veered away from retail to a certain degree. Here, you know, I talk about retail, but I'm doing a medical project, looking at an industrial project. We bought uh, a six-acre industrial project on Henry Clay Boulevard uh, through one of your guys, uh, Justin Ryder. Yeah. He did a great job. He'll love that shout out. Yeah. Hey, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking to that, um, I love the retail side of the real estate business, but are there, are there things right now that you're weary of in retail and why you're shifting? Or is that just kind of the natural evolution that you've seen or deals have kind of come across your plate? Well, I mean, you can, you can drive through some of these shopping centers and see the ones that are struggling, the shoes and the clothing and the things that you can drive, you get from Amazon or you buy online easily. Uh, grocery stores doing great. Big boxes, Walmarts, Lowe's, Costco's doing great. But there's certain categories of retail that, that are struggling that we're, we're aware of. And, uh, and, you know, we just, we're pretty risk averse at this point in our lives. So, we, you know, we're going to buy some industrial land. We're going to pay cash for it. Um, so we're, not, we're just going to wait for the game to come to us. And, you know, we just don't want to take on a bunch of debt unless we got some good, solid, you know, income that we can count on to service that debt. And, and an issue that gets brought up, and this is kind of shifting back towards Lexington or really a little bit outside of Lexington as well, but... Uh, issue that gets brought up pretty much every episode at this point at, at, um, when talking about central Kentucky is just the shortage of land, um, good developable land. 
how are you all, you know, you're talking about closing on some of these deals um, and you guys are still doing development work. How are you um, positioning yourself in a market that's that's really tight on supply or what are you guys doing to, to try to find deals now? Probably not enough to, to find good deals because uh, we've got a small crew of people and, and it seems like I go into the office every day and I'm reading through documents along with Jacob Cassidy, our, he's uh, what we refer to as a recovering attorney, uh, and he's been a huge help to us, by the way, Jacob. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, but we're, we're really not out scouting, so we rely on people like you to bring us some deals and pre-qualify them, and, uh, and we'll take a hard look at them. Um, but, uh, and it, you know, it, can, it could be office. Uh, I, I like medical office, but, you know, just everyday office space is something that we would, we wouldn't want to make sure that we got some really solid income. And, uh, you know, we always try to look at the income first. And if we do a pro forma, do the income and say, how much debt is that going to service? And, uh, and see if your cost matches up with it. Don't go back and change your income projections because you start lying to yourself when you do that. Kind of the low strategy of you may as well have a have a shortage on sales to start. Yeah. And overshoot that projection, hopefully. Right. And the old saying is if you're going to do bad deals, you got to do a lot of volume. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, you know, a huge part of our listening audience are real estate investors and most are based out of Lexington. If you were to give advice to somebody in, you know, in their mid twenties to forties, fifties, whatever it might be, if you're getting started in real estate investing right now, what, what kind of things are you, would you advise over the next five to 10 years, um, in buying? Well, I think one, one of the things, and you know, as uh, who was it, Sparky Anderson or Yogi Berra said, uh, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it truly isn't rocket surgery. But uh, you know, we I guess you got you got to go through your you got to know your weaknesses. You got there. there I understand there's four kinds of people: those who know, those who don't know. Those who know they don't know, and those who don't know they don't know. So recognize your weaknesses and uh, and ask for help when you when you need it. Uh, don't force it. Let the game come to you in a bit. We tend to you know fall in love with these deals and force them. So uh, knowing and understanding your risk. If you know it and you understand it and you want to take it, great. But if you don't know and understand it, probably shouldn't take it. So get get someone to help you if you need help. And always think about trying to fulfill a need rather than create a need. So assess the market. Uh, try to get your tenants signed up in advance if you're doing new development, if you can. Be careful with spec. We don't like spec. Never have. So we've been pretty risk averse. We've never defaulted on a loan. We've never been sued. We've never sued anybody. We don't have time for that stuff. So, so uh, you know, you do your homework on the front end, you can stay out of the courthouse. Just to finish it off, what are some keys 
to success that maybe we haven't mentioned that have that have helped you along the way? I didn't talk enough about my wife and how supportive she's been. You know, I couldn't have done this without her. It's plain and simple. She worked as a nurse. We had twin daughters when I didn't have a job in Bowling Green, Kentucky back in the day, and uh, she never complained. Uh, so again, we, we've been married 49 years and hopefully 49 more, but uh, she's, she's just, she deserves as much credit as anybody here. Uh, my partner, or financial partner, Ballard Cassidy, same way. We graduated high school together, we played sports together, and we've stuck together. And we're one month apart in age. So, and his son Jacob works with us now. Jacob interned with me when he was at Transylvania. He went on and got his law degree at UK. He went to Miami uh, University in Florida and got his LLM in real estate law. And, uh, but his true love was what we're doing today. And uh, so he wanted to get off the hamster treadmill, come back to work. So Cassie family has been uh, a, a meaningful part of this. In fact, we're, we're trying to roll this into a new uh, uh, name called Vertical Realty. Um, we have some name recognition with May Group, so we want to do that slowly, and you'll have an old friend with a new name, you know. So, the, but those are some of the things that I failed to mention earlier, and you know, I think are important uh, to anybody. You know, a young person who wants to get into business, uh, male or female, have you a good spouse that can understand you, what you're trying to do, and support you.